Natasha, Chef Ludo, big fan of both of you and what you do and the show. So first asking about this show, uh, how many episodes are filmed and or going to be filmed? Are we allowed to know that? Yes, you, you have the right to know that. <laughs> we film 10 episodes, 10, right. 10 episodes, yeah. 10 is 10. the magic number. Now, Natasha, did you get to meet Chef Ludo a long time before casting or did you just have like a chemistry coffee date and then take it from there? Well, it was during the pandemic, but what was interesting is when they first sent me the project, I didn't think I knew who Ludo was, but I was already a huge fan. Like he had this restaurant called um, Trois Familia that I would go to all the time. And I had like my favorite order and then Paul Mac I had been to. And so I was already like a huge fan of his food and I didn't even realize it. Um, so then when we met on, I think it was over Zoom. Uh, yeah, yeah right. it was just, and then I got to know him and then I was like, oh, he did these amazing, you know, like French Mexican food. I've never even heard of that. It's yeah. just, he's so creative. And, so and I really Chef, appreciated that. Chef Ludo, at what point did she stop being able to, uh, stop having to call you chef and did you just become Ludo? Did you make her wait or was it right away? <laughs> Uh, I think she called me right away Ludo. That's what I like, you know. I don't like no, no. To... I remember because I called him chef. He said, Don't call me chef. Oh, c'est vrai. I don't remember. Because <laughs> I, I watch so much Gordon Ramsay and they <laughs> always call him chef. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. But that's cute. That's you know. So, yeah, I guess you know, I tell Natasha that I just stop to call me chef because I don't like when people call me chef. I know I'm a chef. I don't need to be to remind me, you know. Call me Ludo. Uh, so, Ludo, is a lot of your technique based on mise and plots? Yes. Yes, of course. It's very important to set up yourself for success. And when you cook, you need to have a little bit of a good mise en place. You know, it's like the restaurant. If you have a good mise en place, it's 50% of the service. You know, I mean, it's good. Good mise en place is good. It's, you, you are set for success. Now, for people who are dumb, mise en place is what? It's like just making sure everything's set up. Yes, yeah, set up yourself, dice your onions before, have you all your ingredients ready, clean, or everything you need for the recipe for cooking needs to be outside and set very well, like in the good order to cook. Yes, Natasha. It's funny, my husband, he, the way, he cooks the opposite. He just undoes every spice, has a whisk, and just like throws everything like that he thinks of and then just like makes a humongous mess. Oh, I can cook like that. <laughs> It's too messy for me. I need well, to that, teach him meat on plus. That, that uh, distinction is something I'm super curious about because my employer made me read a book about meat and plots. So I really? learned about it. What, but book? It has, what book, Dine? Um, uh, Interesting. Uh, it's well, the famous, yes. Yeah, I'm going to check that. Meat en place? Okay. It, so they made me learn it to be a private investigator, which has nothing to do with being a private investigator. Now, Natasha, your career has nothing to do with being organized. In fact, it's the exact opposite in that there's not a lot of physical objects. It's all coming from the head. So I was curious if Ludo made you learn that kind of stuff because you were going to be in the kitchen so much. I mean, I love the idea of things having a place, but like, I do feel that I just, it always feels like Sisyphus. Like it's just like trying <laughs> so hard to like get things in order, especially having a toddler and a husband who's messy, he comes from like a long line of hoarders. And I just feel like there's just always that mess. Actually, maybe I wonder, does Mise en Place, can it, 
can it relate to other parts of your life? I, maybe I should read this book too. It, the name of the book is Work Clean. So uh, I like it. Clean. I'm gonna look at it. There well, you go. I get for my staff too, you know, Dine. <laughs> sure. Was well, did, did, young... so, sorry to interrupt you there, Chef. I called you Chef. Uh, does Moshe get along with Ludo? Oh yeah, they met. They had a great yeah. old time. Well, you know, everyone loves Ludo. He cooks amazing food for them. Moshe is funny. I love your husband. He's so cool. <laughs> oh. That's fantastic to hear because sometimes it's, does the husband or wife get along with that person? Okay, then they can be friends. So, so Ludo, had you been familiar with Natasha's stand-up or another period or other projects of hers before the show? I know Natasha a little bit before, you know, because... Don't uh, lie, Ludo. No, 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 seriously. I know, I know your name. I know to be Natasha. Do I, because she, she watched people, so I know about that. And I, I watch a lot of uh, uh, stand-up... Uh, um, Comedy? Comedy, yeah, I love it. I love to love. Sometimes I don't love because I don't understand. That's the problem. My wife <laughs> thinks it's funny because my English sometimes I don't get all the joke. That's the problem. But I knew who was Natasha and, and they, they told me who was Natasha too when I met her the first time too. You know, yeah, it's true, Natasha. Okay, I believe you. Wait, wait, wait. I love, I love stand up. It's so cool. It's so funny. I, I watch a lot of French one, of course, not British American, but you know, because I understand better in French. You should watch on Netflix, the stand-up, the, the series is so cool. Oh. With the, French stand-ups? Yeah. Yeah. On Netflix, you like it, Darren? It's so cool. I do. Well, my favorite show as of late is a French show, which is on Netflix called Call My Agent. Have you seen uh, that well, show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We've but both seen it. I, I love that show. I think I watched it the whole time we were in Atlanta. It was really good. There you go. What? what? Netflix stand-up is cool. I like it. I think it's very cute. It's great, great French language stuff. Yeah. 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 It's very interesting to see how they get creativity or this uh, comedian. Sure. Well, back to Natasha here. What's your dish specialty kind of situation? Like people are coming over and they say you have to cook something. What is it? When I was pregnant, my friend Kristen came over and she's like, you have to learn how to cook something. She's like, I'm going to teach you how to roast a chicken. And it is unbelievably easy, although Ludo did. So basically, all you do is take out the inside, put a lemon, garlic, herbs inside the chicken, and then just empty a Trader Joe's bag of like colorful carrots and maybe some onions and put it around it, olive oil, salt, and pepper. But then the trick that, and that was already delicious because, you know, the juices, getting the vegetables. Yeah. Um, and then you just check. And then she told me, you know, you just like, if the leg comes open, then it's then it's done it's ready but then ludo's trick is to put the butter underneath the skin and that kind of takes it to a whole new level skin is frying a lot and makes the skin more crispy ah uh, yeah well yeah. i have one quick question for both of you and then i'm going to let you roam free and get asked the same five questions by the next writer interviewer uh and that's first uh chef ludo when did you realize hey i want to be in a career on camera as opposed to just being the person cooking in the restaurant or owning a restaurant? Wow, that's a good thing. I think it happened like 10 years ago, uh, 11 years ago, 12 years ago. It was my first TV show uh, for Sundance and it's called uh, Ludobite America. It was a pop-up uh, show and I love it. I love to be on, on camera, it was fun. Uh, I don't like that much people tell me what to do, you know, it was hard for me. 
<laughs> I was not used to, but uh, but I love it. I love to, I love the 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 the, the thing we say all the time. Oh, Europe, oh, Europe, and wait, oh, Europe, and wait. I love it. and wait. <laughs> I, love, I love it. It's so cool. I love it. No, no, I have fun TV, you know, and I love it because I can show to people, you know, to express myself and show my passion, mm -hmm. and also teach people how to cook. You know, I love it. I love to sharing. You know, be a chef is to share. You know, about cooking. You know, so I love to be on TV just to share my passion. I love it. You are definitely great on camera. And Natasha, the last question here. Uh, you are clearly the best export from Rockford, Illinois. What uh, about Cheap Trick? Like your shirt. Well, that was my question. Is Cheap Trick the number two export from Rockford or is it the Sock Monkey? What's the number two? I don't know what the Sock Monkey is and you are definitely flattering me. Cheap Trick is obviously the number one import. They're a massive band for the past, like what, 40 years. When I was young, I used to waitress, or not waitress, I did waitress as well, but I worked in a grocery store. And when um, Rick Nielsen would come into the grocery store, I remember I always wanted to go down my aisle. So I would just like, whoever was, whoever I was checking out and I'd see him, I would just put all their stuff for free. Just like anything to like get Rick to like come through my aisle. I don't know what I thought I was going to do. I mean, he, he, he didn't care. I didn't even say anything to him, but you know, just like getting that brush with people who, I mean, who knows how much time they spend in Rockford either. I mean, those people were on tour, like, you know, 320 days, <laughs> days a year. Yeah, I was trying to figure out if you're the number one Rockford person, is it Cheap Trick was two or Fred Van Vliet was number two? I don't even know who that is. So I guess I'm number two. <laughs> well, whatever it is, thank you both for your time. Congratulations on the show being wonderfully received. And thank looking you. forward to more episodes beyond the initial Merci, Oh, thank you're you sweet. Okay. Thank you. i tell you one thing. I wish I were living in your house. Where are you? Long Beach, Long Island, New York. You ever been out here? Yes, you're in Long Beach. Well, I'm in New York City. You're a Trenton native. Did I you am. ever move to LA proper or have you always gone back and forth? I did, I did. I moved to LA after I did, I was in Second City yeah. for a while. I, when you quote unquote graduate from Second City, which I, you don't know, graduate, right. you just, you just say, I'm an adult now, I have to leave. Right. And I'm, I went to LA for easily 20 years. Uh, and then came back to New York because this is where Spin City worked mm -hmm. for about four years. But, but I had my home in LA. Then when I had children, I said, I don't want to raise them in LA. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to move, I want to have them uh, out east where they're on the same time zone as their as uh, their grandparents. Mm -hmm. I didn't want them to be in LA because LA is no place to raise children. And so we moved to New York. And this is where I've been now for, I think it's about 15 years, 14, 15 years. Well, so. well you know, limited time here because everyone wants to talk to Richard today. So uh, before I shower you with all the praise in the world about other projects, I can wait. I can make this a half hour. It's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, 18 and a half. Uh, it says 2021 on your IMDb page, but when did you actually film it? I haven't the foggiest idea. You tell me what you were doing during COVID and I'll have an answer. I, I can't remember. As a matter of fact, I have to, to, to preface this with all, I thought we did this before the pandemic, which I found out that we did. 
and then we had to shut down and then we had to do it a couple of months later. Right. Uh, I thought I had one day on the movie. I found out I had two, but they were in different years. That's right. the first thing. The second thing is uh, I never saw the movie. I haven't seen the movie yet. I read the script three years ago. You, uh, who can remember what they read three years ago? I remember this was about uh, uh, the 18 and a half minutes that were cut out from Rosemary Wood's tape that, that she cut out, but right. it was really about the couple uh, and it was weird and unusual. And Dan is weird and unusual. I had done a movie, <coughs> pardon me, for Dan before. I had met him before also. He is a, a wonderful guy. His ambitions are great. Mm -hmm. His, his uh, budgets are not. <laughs> so if I'm going to do a movie right. I, for Dan Mervis, I sure ain't doing it for the money. Right. And to be honest, a lot of times you're not looking to do it because so many people are going to see it and may forward your career. Or, but they're unusual. They're a challenge. They are not cut and dry Marvel movies where they're technically driven. These are absolutely character driven. And sometimes you need to do technically driven projects in order to live comfortably. Right. And you would need to do projects like 18 and a half minutes because you need to sustain your art and your craft and your sense of worth mm -hmm. uh, and money be damned. So right. let's let's well, do something small. You, I think it was uh, is it Ben Affleck? They say uh, one for me, two for you. It, it's that's one right. of those kinds of trade offs. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 what it is. George Clooney says the same thing. This one I do for them. And yeah. I I so I I call TV a lot of times. I call it my waiter's job. <laughs> and uh, you you have to go. Uh, or, or, it, it, or especially to do theater, mm -hmm. you do TV so that you can afford to do theater because these things do not pay, and, uh, but they sustain. But you know, in spite of the TV being, you know, you're waiting at tables, you were in three of my favorite shows of all time, my wife and myself, which would be Curbing Enthusiasm, many, right? many episodes as Andy, Red Oaks, which was another thing that you did with Paul Reiser. Isn't it unbelievable how wonderful Red Oaks is and that nobody has seen it, but it's wonderful. Hell yeah. of a cast. And then also Brockmeyer. Really? So you're a baseball fan. Well, I think that's an interesting thing about your career that a lot of times you see somebody would be in a Nixon related film and you think, okay, they spent a month learning everything they could about Nixon. But for you, it's like, here's a Nixon film. Here's a baseball series. You don't have quite a type. So I never got the vibe that you really got into character per se. It's more like you learned your lines, you read the vibes and that was it. That is it. Okay. That, that's it. Um, when I was at Second City, yeah. you do, or work with the Carol Burnett show that I, that I did. Right. You find out what you are doing, what genre, what is the tone? Mm -hmm. And that's thrilling for me. Mm -hmm. To do something silly and then go do something so deadly serious 
is fantastic. It's fantastic. I will tell you, you'll be seeing a wonderful, wonderful pilot that I was lucky enough to do called East New York. Yes, and that is on your IMDb page with 10 to 13 in the outlaw. So there's a lot coming from you, huh? Right. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Oh, the outlaw. That's a, that, And that's silly. That's a little romantic farce with Pierce Brosnan. That's big budget. Yeah. But East New York, I play a cop. And it's not a laugh to be had. Mm. And I'm going to play a cop. That at this point in my career, mm -hmm. that I am going to be challenged by that and in that genre, is there anybody luckier in their career? And let's face it, I've got a modicum of talent, but I ain't anything. But I'm so lucky to be challenged by this kind of stuff. It's it's unbelievable. I I, I can't believe my my great great fortune. And during COVID, it's it's you know this is this is when I should be retiring, according to you know the American to the U.S. government. But I'm not. I and if I did, then I would die. Then the then the government would save money, but because the, you know I'd be dead, they wouldn't have to pay out Social Security, everything like that. Instead, I get to work. I'm very lucky. Very you lucky. get to work. You do work, and I think most admirably, if you could take one more compliment, is, is that you have found success as an actor on your own terms. Uh, I'm sure when you were in your 20s and 30s, they went, you need to look this way, you need to be this way, you need to hang out at these parties. But you found this long running, decades long success being Richard. I, I got to tell you, I, I think that's true, but, ne but always keep them guessing. For instance, um, when I was growing up, uh, Carol O'Connor and Adam West were on two of my favorite TV shows. I mean, sure. things I watched, of course, religiously, which we all did. You may be too young to do it, but... Oh, I, I know, I know my shows right there. Yeah, okay. I've listened to you on on the Godfrey podcast, which you were one of the best guests of ever. So we know that you know everything. Yeah. So, but but Carol O'Connor used to say, "Well, I'm not just Archie Bunker." Right. I don't care that he did in the heat of the night. He's Archie Bunker. Adam West certainly proved he was only Adam West as Batman. Right. So uh, it became scary to me to ever be an actor that was just known for one character. When I did Spin City, everybody said, oh, you're the breakout character. I didn't have any PR people because I didn't want to be a breakout character. Right. I wanted not to be known as Paul Lasseter. I wanted to do the best job I could as Paul Lasseter, but I don't want to just be known as Paul Lasseter. I did not want to be Michael Richards, uh, you know, the breakout character from uh, Seinfeld. I wanted to be everything. And Lately, I have been able to do that. I've gotten to play a villain in a, in a movie that's uh, called Running Guns. I'm playing a, uh, uh, a military scientist on the run from the military, uh, living out in the wilderness in a movie called Monsters of California. He's a, and then I got to do History of the World Part Two, which is just stupid, silly, loud. It's crazy, crazy. And play a cop coming up. Well, whatever is coming next, I'm looking forward to it and grabbing you on the next junket. But for now, uh, congratulations on everything. and really looking forward to whether you're on a podcast, in a movie, in a film, whatever it is, Richard, bring it on. Thank you, Darren. You're very kind. You've been very kind to me the whole interview.
Thanks. Hey, Ricky, how's your day going so far? Super, super duper. Aside from having to talk to media, super, right? (laughs) Well, honestly, every morning I do a podcast. And so mornings, I look forward to talking to the media. Well, bottom line is it's a pleasure to be connected with you. Longtime fan of who you are and what you do. Because as great as you were on the field, your influence has felt way off the field all these years later. So that leads us to the great Heisman product, which I, I get the pun on the name right there. Uh, how long was it from going, I want to do this, to actually doing it with Heisman? Mm, you know, I'm not sure it was ever really like, I want to do this. It was always felt like I, I have to do this, you know? And, you know, I'm turning 45 next week and, you know, kind of getting over the hill. It's, it becomes, <laughs> over the hill. No, but it, it, there really is a hill. You know, it's real. That, that yeah. It's a good chance that I've, I'm over the halfway point. You know, very good chance. And so, it, you know, I look back and I realize all of the things that I, I went through the first part of my life, mm-hmm. you know, by definition, were preparation for the second part of my life. And so understanding of like where I'm moving into the, the, the future, you know, I look to, okay, what experiences, what wisdom have I garnered, you know, in this, this point into the journey and a large, a huge part of my story uh, involves cannabis. And so to take what I know and to share it with people and to invite people to have the same kind of relationship, which for me has been a fulfilling, a positive relationship with cannabis. And I think it's real. It's here. It's it's going to be, you know, people, more people are going to continue to be open to and use cannabis. And if someone can lead the way and, and show people, you know, how to have a productive relationship with this plant, I think that's a positive thing. And I feel like it's a responsibility that I have. Yeah. Well, going back to what you just said there, when you first were publicly favorable about cannabis, a lot of people were laughing about it, the old stereotypes and whatnot. But now in, in the past few years, we've seen a lot of states legalize cannabis. Celebrities are not afraid to have their name on products and the like. So when was it that you started to realize, of, oh, I was right this whole time? <laughs> you know, it's a good question. Um, you know, I think I, I I always knew on the inside I was right, and to me the question the question was more about the conflict when there's something that we feel inside, but what the world shows us is actually something quite different. You mm-hmm. know, and this and this is a common theme for anyone who's had the experience of being ahead of their time. It means we're aware of something that conventional reality is not ready for or is not caught up to, and what do you do? You know, what do you do? And I think it's, that's been really a large part of my, my journey. And I feel fortunate um, that I, what I did is I started surrounding myself with people who had a similar perspective. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I kind of buffered myself with people who also have found an appreciation for cannabis and, and, you know, the, the positive result is as we share notes and we share our experiences, um, we feel more solid in our awarenesses. And also we get to tweak our awarenesses, right? You're listening to other people share their experiences who have been using cannabis for longer than I have. Oh my God. That's what I love. You know, the old, old school guys, right? They tell the stories and you, you get an appreciation for, Oh, 
So I'm not the only person that's experiencing this. People have been have been experiencing this for thousands of years, thousands right? Of then years. you don't you don't feel so alienated. You feel part of like you feel like you're part of something. And that's really what Heisman is about. It's about creating a community of people who feel like they're a part of something and about the utilization of this wonderful, wonderful herb. Yeah, well, to your credit, you were not just ahead of the curve with cannabis and being outspoken about it. I think that you were ahead of the curve when it came to star athletes with the vegan lifestyle, with yoga, with all sorts of things that are about long-term health and wellness. So when I talk to a musician and you go, who are your influences? Who are the people that made you want to write music and all that? It's pretty easy. They go, oh, the Beatles, oh, Jay-Z. That's easy stuff. But when I go, who were the people that made you want to be an enlightened human being and be healthy? Do you have those couple of people or names that you could throw out there of this person, this person? Yeah. Well, the first one is Jesus, you know, just, you know. As a kid growing up in this person, Jesus being presented with all these qualities and all of these stories, I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, that's pretty cool. Right. So I, I always like as a kid, I had that 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 connection. Uh, and then fast forward um, in general, just great men. And not that, that that's how they lived their lives, but the way the great men in history class were presented to us, you know, we take snapshots of them in their greatest moments, sure. you know? So there's that. Um, but on a, on a more intimate personal level, I think the next person was Bob Marley. And, and what spoke to me about Bob Marley was that his, like, when you listen to the music, that it serves the musical function because you, your body wants to move, you know, right. And it get, and it sets a mood. Okay. Sure. But, and that was his job and he made a lot of money and he was famous and all that, all that good stuff. Okay. Yeah. But the beauty of Bob Marley is that he utilized his platform. Right. And he had a message, you know, they called him a prophet. And so as a kid listening to his music, it served like the musical function, but it was like transmitting some like deeper, deeper values that resonated. And it, you know, they resonated with me with, with the same part of me that was really into the Jesus guy. You know, these deeper truths and listening to Bob Marley, you know, half half of his lyrics come straight from the Bible. Mm -hmm. So I'm feeling like, you know, there's kind of like this 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 lineage and I call it a spiritual lineage because the idea of spirit is thinking for me is not just thinking about myself, but thinking about how I fit in like the, the larger scheme of things. And this I mean, most people don't think about it, but this applies directly to being on a football team, especially in the NFL, because an NFL football coach, a college football coach, even to a certain extent, a high school football coach. He's trying to get a bunch of guys. OK, individuals. OK, right. Guys to get on the same page and mm -hmm. to share a same mission. OK, like if you if you really didn't realize you were in a football environment and you heard a, a coach speaking to a team, you mm -hmm. might think you're in church, you know? Because coaches are always, yeah, there's the game plan, there's the strategy, but a coach knows you have to build character to get guys to sacrifice their own personal needs and do something that's for the greater good. No? It's almost like you've thought about these things before. <laughs> you think? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's, it really blows my mind about how intelligent you are, which I didn't know about until the ESPN special. Because as growing up as a big NFL fan, you don't really think about the personalities off the field. You just think like that guy put a lot of yards or points or whatever. <laughs> and, and we see it printed in the newspaper and that's that. 
were you this philosophical as a kid or is this something that happened once you became a professional athlete and you started thinking about your role in the world? You know, I think I don't honestly, I don't think we really change in life. I think all we really have the potential to do is become more of ourselves. And whether it's for some of us, it happens quick. For some of us, it happens really, really, really slowly. Okay? Sure. And so there are the seeds, right? The seeds of, of who I am are always there. I just, you know, you just need certain experiences to water those seeds so that they grow into something. Outro.